Una, dos, tres. ¡Vámonos! Red Cloaks Radio is a production of the Boston Red Cloaks. Hi, this is Jesse with Red Cloaks Radio, and my co-host is joining me today. Marta Leticia from Boston Red Cloaks. And we are delighted to welcome back State Representative Lindsay Sabadosa, who represents the 1st Hampshire District, which is now comprised after redistricting of the city of Northampton and the towns of Chesterfield, Cummington, Goshen, Hatfield, Plainfield, West Hampton, Williamsburg, and Worthington. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me here. It's a pleasure to be back. We want to know how you're doing and how the communities you're representing are doing. Well, I, I guess I'll just jump in and sort of start with the, the elephant in the room, which is the recent um, Supreme Court ruling um, Dobbs, uh, the Dobbs case. And I think it's very hard in one word to summarize how we're doing. Um, I will say there is a lot of anger. There is a lot of sadness. There is a lot of desire to, to do something. And there's a lot of frustration. Um, and the frustration makes a lot of sense to me because we are in this world where we have the Supreme Court saying that there is no constitutional right to abortion, which completely upends the stability of our laws for the past, um, you know, 50 years or so. And then at the same time, uh, you know, they're saying, oh, it's going to go back to the states. The states are going to decide. And yet we're now hearing that states are going to try to roll back even further restrictions. And we have Mike Pence talking about national bans. And we have the Conference of Christian Legislators me meeting in Branson, Missouri, celebrating and talking about ways they can further um, advance what I believe can only be described as a theocratic government. And it doesn't feel like it just went back to the states. It feels like this is part of a very large political agenda uh, from the ultra conservative right wing, which of course many of the justices on the Supreme Court belong now, thanks to former President Trump. And so our, our level of frustration is very high. We are we're very concerned about the direction our country is going in, what this means not only for abortion access, but for for gay marriage, for um, for the anti-sodomy laws. I mean, you could just keep going. The row was founded in just in the right to privacy, and now that's been taken away, and we're grappling with how do we live in a world where states could potentially try to criminalize someone traveling over state lines to access abortion and use their data in order to do that. And I, I spent a lot of time last night just walking through cases, right? Like Massachusetts, cannabis is legal. So this is like Texas saying, if someone comes from Texas to Massachusetts and buys cannabis, we are going to use their data and prosecute them in Texas for doing so. That's crazy, right? That's not a thing that people do. Um, I, you know, gambling, gambling is not legal in, in some places. And yet people go to Las Vegas uh, and they gamble. This is like saying, we're going to track your vacation to Las Vegas, find out everything you do there and then prosecute you at home. And anyone who aided and abetted you in getting to Las Vegas, right? So the airline and your taxi driver, and your hotel, they're all accomplices in you committing a crime that was completely legal where you were, but we're saying is a crime in our state. It really upends the idea of what the United States is. Everybody is doesn't understand all the repercussions 
I think that some of the, the things that are happening are because of what people believe, the religion they believe in. And they're trying to make us believe in the same thing and follow the same rules. If I don't believe in what you believe, then I'm wrong and you will be prosecuted. I agree with you. And I, I think that moving beyond Dobbs and looking at some of the other cases that came out of the court in the last few weeks, we see um, some real breakdown of the establishment clause and a real breakdown of that division of church and state that has been so fundamental to the functioning of our country. I was talking to a family member, you know, we live in New England, and just thinking about how the colonies were established in New England and why they were established and a lot of times it was because in colony a you can practice this religion and you are of a different religion therefore go find your own colony down somewhere else right we we did separate out based on religious beliefs and so when the framers were trying to pull together a, a country it was important that any everyone was free to practice their own religion but to not impose their religion on others and when you see a case like Maine, where all of a sudden Maine is not providing public schools, which just let's all wrap our heads around a state that is not providing public education for a second. They're not providing public education, I believe, at the high school level. And so now state money can go to religious schools. And when you look at the requirements for setting up a religious school, they, they're, they're pretty bare. It's, it's pretty sparse, right? Um, far more familiar with Massachusetts law on that topic than I am with Maine. But it does give states this opportunity, some might say, to not offer public education and to allow those state dollars to go to religiously affiliated schools. And when you think of states like Utah or Idaho or Texas, that becomes very appealing and it means that the state is supporting religion. Now, I'm sure that those states are not going, they're not going to be excited to fund schools that are not Christian, um, but at the same time, that's that's the direction the court has allowed us to head in. When you have the case like the, the coach who is allowed uh, to pray and, and like, let's be fair. I mean, we can all pray, right? I could be praying right now and you don't know that because prayer is supposed to be one's internal conversation with who they believe is a higher power. But when a coach is praying openly, visibly, and inviting students into that prayer, that person in the position of power is effectively saying, come and participate in my religion. And if you don't, you are, you know, you're excluded. There, there is, there are repercussions for that, right? This is, we all know this. We all went through middle school and high school. There's the in crowd, the out crowd. And the coach is saying the in crowd are the people who stand here and pray with me. And there are probably other benefits to that as well. So we have a Supreme Court that does not believe in a separation of church and state, and it is pushing us towards a theocratic government. Um, and the Dobbs case falls within that because it certainly says um, to great extent, you know, states can do whatever they want because fundamentally, and if you look through the case, you know, they use the word unborn person over and over and over and over again, which is a which is a value statement. Um, no medical doctor calls a fetus an unborn person. That's not a thing. Even using the term mother, right, is a, a value statement because that implies a relationship. You, um, you have to have a relationship with your child in order to be a mother. You're just not automatically because 
some cells started to come together, a mother. Um, they didn't use the word impregnated person. They didn't use the word pregnant person. They made a lot of value statements that reflected strong religious beliefs um, of really just one religion. What I feel is that they are channeling towards only one kind of religion because I know for a fact, if your son doesn't take a breath, he cannot be baptized and he cannot be buried in sacred land by Catholicism. I know it for a fact, twice. So why are they telling me that he, like you said, the unborn fetus? fetus. Exactly. I'm like, I, I mean, I know for a fact that is not true, but also, okay, I get impregnated. I'm gonna be liable. So you have to be liable. So it's a 50-50 because I didn't get impregnated by myself. So it's very one-way-sided on all aspects. It's only against the feminine side. Certainly, although I, I would also point out that the Catholic Church believes strongly that people are able to get pregnant without any other intervention besides holy intervention. So I, I, I don't know. <laughs> they, they should. Uh, there is a bit of hypocrisy there. What has it been like in your district? Like, have there been demonstrations? Have people been coming out? There have been demonstrations and I we've really sort of leaned into the idea of more speak outs because I think people really do feel like they just have to say something. And at the same time, we've, we've been trying to be very careful to make sure that people are given real marching orders, right? And it's not enough to just say, call your elected officials at this point. It's really, how do we support the work on the ground? And I see these things popping up all over the place. Um, people talking about um, you know, auntie networks and you see the camping posts and I, we live in a different world now, thanks to, to Dobbs and thanks to states like Texas and Oklahoma, where people are in real danger of being prosecuted. And while I understand intimately the desire to do something and to help people, it is not helpful to, to post a willingness to, to house people on social media. There is no data privacy um, that can be tracked. Uh, you are putting yourself out there as someone that should be watched. And if people reach out to you, then, you know, the connections can be made. I keep saying, please talk to the funds because the abortion rights funds across the country are the people who have been doing this work for a long time. They understand about data and privacy protection. They are intimately aware of how to keep patients safe. It's important that we do that now because this isn't, this is real. This is no longer, maybe the court will do this. We're no longer in draft opinion. We are in states with actual terrible draconian laws. Uh, Missouri, I think was the first that passed a complete abortion ban right after the ruling within hours. There's no, there's no exception for rape or incest. We're talking about people potentially being criminalized for miscarriages at this point, because for those of 
folks who don't know the <laughs> procedure um, to uh, to help with a miscarriage that is not complete is exactly the same as an abortion, right? Um, and so this is a real problem and we need to primarily on how do we keep people safe? Because if we don't have that as our, our main focus, the most vulnerable people are going to be prosecuted. And I can promise you, it is not going to be the wealthy white lady in Texas who has the money to fly to Massachusetts or New York. She is not going to be prosecuted. It is going to be an immigrant. It is going to be a woman of color. It is going to be a trans person. Those are the people who are going to be prosecuted by these states. And we know that. I mean, it, it, we, and, and to be fair, we have great examples, right? We saw Ireland pass a ban and we watched people die. We saw Poland pass a ban. We watched people die. So we know this already, that that's what's going to happen. And people really just need to um, take a deep breath and support their funds. And also, you know, people who are opposed to abortion are also going to say, oh, my house is open. Please call me and let me know. I mean, this is that's a tactic that the crisis pregnancy centers have used, right? Like, let's build lists of people who are seeking abortion and we can use those at a later date for, for different, I would say, nefarious purposes. So it is really important that we um, that we take a step back from social media, start talking to real people. And if people want to do this deep work of supporting individuals accessing abortion to connect with the networks that are in place. And, you know, I, I think some people think, oh, we weren't ready for this. No, the, we, we knew this was coming. The abortion funds knew this was coming. The National Network of Abortion Funds knew this was coming. Groups like uh, NARAL, Reproductive Equity Now here in Massachusetts, they knew this was on its way. Um, that's why there are websites like Plan C uh, where they can make sure, irrespective of where you live, that you have access to medication. Um, it's an imperfect solution, to be sure. Medication is not the right solution for everybody. It's the right solution for many, many people. Unfortunately, it's still just within the first 11 weeks, though. Here in Massachusetts, you have really, thank you, stuck your neck out, and you've led on, on a compassionate move to make sure that students who are attending public universities University of Massachusetts is a really big public university that we fund with our taxpayer dollars as residents here in the state. Right now, uh, students who are there can't access medication abortion, and then they end up falling prey to exactly the kind of crisis pregnancy centers that are out there that are waiting to prey on young people, maybe away from home for the first time. What is the status right now? And, you know, we want to be able to help. <laughs> Well, the, the bill was moved out of committee, which is really exciting. It, it has changed a little bit in form, and I think that um, that may either be disappointing or exciting. I view it as exciting um, because we expanded the number of campuses that will be affected, but we changed the mode in which they will be affected. So the bill now includes community colleges. Now, that doesn't mean community colleges are going to provide medication abortion on campus, but it does mean that we're asking them to make sure that students know that they can go to their health center to get real information about how to access medication abortion and uh, that they will provide a real list. Now, this is an important way, a real, a real list of where you can access medication, I should say. Um, this is a really important way to keep students away from CPCs. And I will say a fundamental flaw I, I've always felt in the bill originally was that we, we weren't taking in community colleges because again, community colleges are where a, a lot of our more vulnerable population end up. 
um, because it's a little bit cheaper, because it's often closer to home, there are more of them. So the um, bill would require the Department of Public Health to provide a list of where you can actually go. Now that list is not going to include crisis pregnancy centers or any other place that doesn't actually offer abortion. Um, so that is a really helpful, I think, and good change to the legislation. Um, we gave a little bit more leeway to the state universities because they, they talked a lot about their distance and some of the limitations that they had with the number of staff on campus. So we talked a lot more about how they can facilitate mail-in, um, making sure that students are getting pills from reliable sources. But also, because I, I did allude to this earlier, sometimes medication is not the right solution. We want students to know where they can go if they want to have an aspiration abortion. Um, you know, it, it is a choice. It's a very personal choice about how you want to do this. And we want the schools to be ready to um, to offer, to not offer necessarily on campus, but to offer the resources so that students can be do both can do either option. And these um, procedures are covered by student health insurance. So this is really just a way of getting information out there. This bill is, it's both improving healthcare infrastructure on campuses, and it's also a huge education bill. <laughs> um, so it's interesting. It went through public health and now it's with healthcare financing. So, uh, and then for the UMass systems, we would have the UMass systems provide medication abortion on campus. They are able to do so. And I'm, I have to say, I'm super grateful to all of the administrators on campus and particularly people who run health services. They're kind of rock stars because their, their response has always been, we view students as whole people. We don't just view them as like a body that comes in and pays to take some classes. We view them as people that need help with transportation, help with childcare, access to healthy food, access to healthcare. And because of that, they've been very open to figuring out what the right solution is for each of their schools. And I'm, I think our students are in really good hands and this is going to be an important piece, both to avoid anyone ending up at a CPC, but also because we're already seeing the statistics, right? There are the maps on the New York Times did a great one that shows how far students have to travel, or I'm sorry, how far people have to travel to access abortion. Um, places like Chicago are expecting an 8,000% increase in the number of individuals seeking abortions um, because they are the closest. I think California was at 3,000%. Uh, the West Coast is forming this amazing barrier <laughs> of pro-choice um, advocates and, and in laws and individuals that are protecting people there. But we're gonna see the same thing in the Northeast as well. And so because we know there's gonna be a greater demand on our clinics, expanding where you can obtain abortion is really fundamental. I would argue that if people out there are listening to this podcast and they are a midwife or a nurse or a physician, one of the great things you can do that most of us can't is you can provide abortions. Um, you can get that training and you can do that. I think a Something that now, in hindsight, when I think about it, I think we should never have allowed abortion to just be in clinics. We should have just demanded that abortion be everywhere. That when you go to your PCP, you can get an abortion. That your OBGYN provides abortion services. Because it is so part of the reproductive life cycle, right? Like it's, it's miscarriage, abortion, and birth. Those things, they go together. And people might like to pretend that there's... Um, something special about abortion, but there, there really isn't. And 
I, I will tell you, this is maybe a little bit of a side, but I've, I spent a lot of time researching abortion in animals recently. And it came from the, for this woman in North Dakota. There, the clinic in North Dakota is moving to Minnesota right now because Minnesota has pro-choice laws and North Dakota has a ban. And this woman donated money and she said, my farm animals have more access to reproductive health care right now than I do. And so I have started to dig into that. And it's true. <laughs> Farmers understand this, um, unlike politicians and Supreme Court justices. The medication access bill is now part of the Mass Beyond Row agenda. What can I do to push this across the finish line? Reach out to your legislator and ask them to support that agenda. This bill is a critical part of that um, legislative work that the ACLU, Planned Parenthood, and Reproductive Equity Now have put together. And I think that more so than asking for the bill to move on its own, we need to ask for the bill to be part of that, right? That legislation, that proposal will protect our physicians, it will protect our residents, will protect people seeking um, abortion in Massachusetts, it will focus on um, preventing data sharing, it will reinforce privacy, Justice Alito be damned, we're going to reinforce privacy here, um, and it will uh, hopefully also include the medication abortion on college campus piece, and I, I have to say also um, the piece removing cost sharing for abortion services, because it is, it's both, it's where do you access, it's how do you get access, and it's how much does it cost, right, so that's actually not both, that's three things, but in any case, those are the the sort of pillars of how, can you, re do you really have access, and if one of those is missing, you do not not really have access. The reality is we're not safe in Massachusetts just because we pass better state laws because we heard already on Friday um, Mitch McConnell out there talking about moving for a national abortion ban. I've been thinking a lot about this because we even on this podcast today we've brought up a lot of things that people don't seem to know i think martha earlier on said you know she's um i, I believe catholic and in her religion life is actually at the first breath that is that is what the bible says for, for anyone out there who who is curious the bible does not talk about abortion but it does talk about that i don't think that most religious folks know that i don't think most people understand what abortion is and why one might have an abortion. They don't understand what a total ban would mean. So they don't understand that um, it would preclude treating people with ectopic pregnancies, that it would preclude treating people with um, sepsis, that it would preclude, you know, helping someone whose miscarriage is not completed. There's a heartbreaking case in Malta right now where there is a, a complete ban and there is a woman there who Malta is refusing to treat until the fetus, she's, she's lost all of her amniotic fluid and they will not treat her until the fetus's heart stops beating or her sepsis becomes so bad that she might actually die. Um, and of course she is in a physical state where you cannot just airlift her. So that's the example of what a ban means and what a ban looks like. And I, I may be very naive, but I do not think that that is what people want this country to look like. I don't think that's what they want medical care to look like. So we need to do some massive education with voters. And I think we need to stop being afraid of talking to people in red states. 
Um, there are people who are fighting this fight in those states and they need our support. Uh, I saw this you know, great woman from, from Eastern Kentucky last night uh, talking about her abortions and why it was so critical for her to retain those rights. And that's Eastern Kentucky, where I think a lot of us just write it off, right? As like, well, we're never gonna change minds there. But I think when you tell people, well, you know, your ectopic pregnancy wouldn't be treated, we're probably gonna change some minds. Might have to tell some folks what an ectopic pregnancy is, um, but you still have, I think, the upper hand because medicine and science are on our side. The ex-senator from Missouri was on MSNBC and she said that now they have to wait for a woman to be in sepsis to be treated for an abortion. The, and she compared it to Malta. And I mean, that is, that is ridiculous, ridiculous. Yes, many people saw it coming, but there's plenty of very rational people who didn't think the Supreme Court would take this step. And where we've got to support the people who have a plan to take care of each other, make sure there's access and participate. Thank you so much for showing leadership in the Commonwealth of Massachusetts, bringing this legislation forward, reintroducing it this session, and using it as a way to, to educate all of us. Let us know where can people follow you and get in touch if they want to reach out. Sure. Uh, so if people want to reach out, um, the best way is to just give me a call. Uh, my office number is 413-270-1166. You can alternatively follow me on Twitter or Instagram at Sabadosa MA. My Facebook is unfortunately at El Sabadosa MA, so a little bit different. Um, but you know, we're always happy to hear from individuals. Thanks everyone. And just hang in there. Take care of your mental health. Try to get sleep. Watch a fun movie if you can. It's okay to take your mind off it a little bit. Um, and on the flip side, watch the hearings. Thank you, everybody, and goodbye. You've been listening to Red Cloaks Radio, a production of the Boston Red Cloaks. Find us at bostonredcloaks.com 